Good morning, Fort Caroline. How are we doing? Uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 20, the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. And while you're doing that, I will um, say that you and I have something in common. Uh, you didn't know I was preaching today. <laughs> and up until about 10 o'clock last night, neither did I. But here we go, and we're praying for Pastor Rick. He sounds like just some routine things. He'll be back strong and healthy and back with you soon. I'm Rick Wheeler. I serve your Jacksonville Baptist Association. You may or may not know, but you're part of a network of churches all over the First Coast that, that bonds together to plant churches, uh, revitalize and strengthen train leaders, and that's what I get to do. And yes, I get to fill in for preachers when they're out, so that's part of my job as well. But it's a blessing to be with you today. Uh, John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at a text today that really ties into what Rebecca was talking about, which is understanding my story and how it fits into the bigger story of what God's doing here at Port Caroline, as well as around the world. Now, some questions as we get started today. Anyone here, roll in here today, looking for more peace in your life? All right, eight of you did. Okay, that's good. Um, how about this question? I think we'll get more. Anybody think there ought to be more peace in the world today? Yeah, everybody's hand goes, have you checked out the news lately? Uh, the world is in a mess. Um, anybody just kind of asking, where do I begin to serve God? You know, how do I get out of the just kind of being in the kingdom to actually being kind of used of God? Well, addressing these questions really requires that we look at our spiritual life not as um, just positional, that, hey, I was lost and now I'm saved, amen, that's true, but also, we have to look at the direction, the progress of our life. Where is God taking us? What is our story? Who shaped it? And where is it going? It's kind of like this. I heard about these cruise ships, and I know the ones that I read about were out of New York. I guess there are some other places. But you get on the ship, and the ship leaves, and it goes out for a few days, and it just kind of meanders around, avoids all the bad weather. And, but it never stops anywhere. There's no itinerary. You just kind of enjoy the entertainment, you enjoy the food, you, all the shows and everything, and then at the end of four or five days, whenever the cruise is over, it just kind of comes back to where it started. And they call these a cruise to nowhere. Now, that's not maybe a bad idea for a cruise, but it's not a good way to live your life. And it's not a good way for your spiritual life to be lived out. Our spiritual life is not a cruise to nowhere. In fact, we're going to look at a passage today that it has a very specific purpose and a calling. In John chapter 20, let me give a little bit of background here. This is after the crucifixion. Jesus, has, has their leader of the disciples, has died. He's in the grave, and they think. And then at this moment, they're behind locked doors. They're in the upper room. The legal authorities are looking for them, and they are afraid. And it's just at that moment that Jesus steps in and proclaim some things to them. So let's take a look. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. When it was evening of that first, uh, excuse me, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19 through 23. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this story and what it tells us about your love for us, your love for the world, and that you have come and you have sent us. 
Lord, we thank you for your word in general. We thank you for this particular passage that we're looking at this morning. May it be a lamp unto our feet that we may not stumble. May it also be a light unto our path that we may not stray. Lord, may we walk out of here with these words hidden deep in our heart that we may not sin against you. And all God's people said, amen. Now, I'm a real simple preacher. I look at a text, I just pull out three or four things, we talk about them, amen? So I'm going to write down three or four, uh, I'm going to give you three or four ideas that you can maybe capture and, and maybe even look at a little bit later. But here's the first thing that jumps out to me, right at the top. Notice that Jesus gave us the pattern to live sent. Jesus gives us the pattern to live sin. We can live sin because Jesus gives us that pattern. What do I mean? Well, look back in verse 21. Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus then says, that's the pattern, just like that, now you're sent. A lot embedded, a lot of, lot of truth embedded in that statement. But let's just kind of camp on this idea of just as for a moment. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, he sent him from all the glory of heaven to the slums of a backwater Jewish outpost. He sent him from all the peace and joy of paradise to a noisy, painful, sinful world. He sent Jesus from the safety of the angelic guard to a violent culture here on earth. From a place of no need to a place of constant and great need. From a place where there's no sin, no disease, no death, to a place where sin, disease, and death are pervasive, are everywhere. No one has ever gone further or paid a bigger price than the one we call Lord and Master. And if you're here today and you've given your heart and your life to Christ and He is your Lord and Savior, please hear me, you follow in the steps of the greatest missionary of all times. Nobody has ever gone further, spanned a greater gulf, and carried a greater message than the one we follow after his name is Jesus of Nazareth, which means that our life ought to follow in the pattern of a missionary in some sense. There ought to be some indication of my life kind of flowing into that idea of what it means to live as one who's been sent by the sent one. It's kind of like this, though. Sometimes I think people are, they're kind of on the cruise, but they're not really going anywhere. It's kind of like this. They're, they, you know, if someone were to walk in, well, let me ask you a question first. How many of you, uh, and I suspect quite a few, either now or previously have served in one of the branches of our military? Yeah, rooms, my hand goes up all over the room. Now, what if, and I don't even think this is legal, but what if somebody came in here today and they had all, one of the uniforms of one of our military branches? They were an officer, they had all the regalia, the insignia, the ribbons, I mean, to the perfect. And we would we would go, hey, thank you. Uh, thank you for your service. May I ask you a question? Where do you serve? And what if they said, well, you know, I like wearing the uniform, but I'm not actually serving anywhere. I mean, I like wearing the uniform and looking good and going to places where other people wear uniforms. But if you were to ask me where my commission is, I, I don't really have a place. Now, we would think they're out of their mind. But somehow in the kingdom, we think that's maybe something we can get away with. You see, if we're going to wear the uniform, if we're going to put on the cloak of, of Jesus on our life, then it means we have a sentness about us, that we have a calling. Now, it is good and proper when we bring out missionaries who are going to go, say, to a very specific people group, maybe they're going overseas, and we, we lay hands on them, we, we pray for them, meaning we, we just send them out in a spiritual sense, and we pray for them. That's good, and that's biblical. But can I tell you, there's no hierarchy of calling in the kingdom. We're all called. 
We're all under the, the mandate of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And so whether it be across the street, you know, across the states, or across the seas, Jesus has called all of us equally. Which means if you're a teacher or you work in a public school this week, you're sent to that mission field. If you're coaching Little League or you're in the marketplace or you're in the military or wherever you are this week, that is your mission field until Jesus gives you different orders. And so the question is, you know, what makes you a missionary is, is not where you are. What makes you a missionary is what mission are you on? So we have to ask ourselves, what is my mission? Just as the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us. Where does he send us into the world? How do you know? Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. God sent his Son into the world. That's where you and I are sent. It's good to come and worship. We need to do this. This is good and appropriate and biblical. But this is not where we are sent. We are sent out there. It'd be kind of like this. What if, what if after church we dismiss, and that's going to happen, um, <laughs> unless Jesus comes, and I vote yes, um, but let's say, let's say um, after church, out there on Monument or 295 or one of the big roads out there, you're going home or to lunch, and you just happen to see a big boat right in the middle of the street. I mean, you know, not on a trailer, like just sitting in the middle of the road. You would think somebody's having a bad day, right? But, what? because that's not where it's supposed to be. Where is the boat supposed to be? In the water, right? And can I just tell you, no boat has ever sunk because it's in the water. The boat sinks because the water got in the boat. You and I are supposed to be in the world. We don't sink from being in the world. That's where we're supposed to be. We sink when the world it's into us. So living sent means we follow the pattern of Jesus. But look at the second thing. We experience God's peace when we live sent. It's the only thing that Jesus said twice in this passage, in verse 19 and again in verse 21. He said, peace to you. Now, I know that was a greeting at the time, but there's much more theological depth to this statement of peace be unto you. He's stepping into the middle of a very frightened group of people. They're scared. The religious authorities and the Roman authorities are looking for them. The laws are against them. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous moment. And it's in the middle of those circumstances that Jesus steps in and says, hey folks, peace. Let me, let me say a word to you. The word's peace. And he gives to his church his peace, which he just purchased. It says he showed them his wounds. Here's what that means. He's not just saying peace like back in the 70s, like peace, you know. He's saying, look at the peace that I purchased on the cross for your behalf. Peace with God. All of the wrath that was meant for you came upon me, and all of the peace that should have been mine is given to you. He's preaching the gospel, the message of salvation, and he says, church, you have peace and you are to be stewards and messengers of that peace to take it to a lost world who desperately needs more peace. And it's ours. It's been given to us twice. Can I just say that that does not mean that my circumstances will be peaceful? In fact, just as the disciples were here, some of the most precarious and dangerous moments of my life has been because I was following Jesus. Because I was following him to to precarious and dangerous situations, but 
His peace pervades that which he calls us to do. Here's what I'm saying. You find the peace of Christ in the mission of Christ. His presence is found in his calling, in his sentness. And maybe if I'm not experiencing much peace in my life, maybe it's because I've stepped out of the mission of Jesus. Maybe it's because I'm over here doing my own thing and trying to do this thing with my own power, my own agenda. And all the while, Jesus is saying, no, I've, I've sent you here. And he, right in the middle of this is where you're going to find me and my peace. It's in the mission of Jesus that you find the peace of Jesus. The, 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 sent, sent, the sending of the disciples and the peace go together. These are not separate things. If I want more peace in my life, I better be aligned with his purpose and his calling and his mission for my life. That's the peace. But look at the third thing, and that is this. We can live sent because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what that means. Look back at verse 22. Jesus breathed on them just as he breathed life into Adam. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into Adam, and what happened? He came alive, right? I mean, he was just a bunch of dirt before then. And Jesus, I mean, God formed him and breathed into him. In the same way, we as believers in the church receive the, the Holy Spirit. By the way, sermon for another day, he didn't breathe half of the Holy Spirit into us, okay? He gave us all of the Holy Spirit. The question isn't, do we have all of the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of us? But he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's his power. That's his authority. That's his, his, the energy, the, the purpose. Everything that we need to accomplish, he has empowered us to do by, by giving us his Holy Spirit to accomplish the Great Commission. We have all of the energy. We have all of the power. We have all of the authority. Not ours, his. But he's given it to us, again, to steward, to, to manage, so that we can live out that power and authority as we carry the gospel across the states, across the seas, around the world. We have everything we need. Now, I love what... Uh, Tony Evans says, he's a pastor, he says, you know, the problem in North America, not talking about every church, but, but pervasive, in North America is, is it that we don't have enough money? Most Now, there are people with resource challenge, I, I get that, we need to help, but most of us know where our next meal is coming from, and most of us, you know, have what, the basics of life covered. The, the problem is in, in the church in North America is not that we don't have enough time uh, TV watching and video game play. Have you seen these video games where they go around and they're like looking for Pokemons and you see them? I mean, I, sometimes I can see those things without the, the, the smartphone. But thank you. I'm, I'm glad somebody got that. Yeah. The problem is that we don't have enough time. We have time. Leisure activities aren't, I mean, recreational things, those aren't on the decline. We have time. We have the resources. Our issue is one of priorities. We've got to put the main thing, the main thing in our lives, in our families, in our churches again. We have all the power we need available to do everything God has called us to do. But I have to make sure I'm relying on his strength, not my strength. There's an old hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We can live sent because of the transforming presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. We have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of us? You're listening right on time, by the way. We're at number four. But I want to camp here for a while. 
because this is really where it starts to, to kind of take a turn. We live sent when we obey the Great Commission, when we actually obey what Jesus said to do. Now, what are you, what are you getting at? Well, Jesus goes, steps into the moment here, frightened, bunch of ragtag followers, and he commissions them. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And the question is, what do they do with it? Do they go, well, that's interesting, but what time's the buffet? Um, no, they, they said yes. They, they responded. They took that charge and fulfilled it. How do we know? Because they told people who told someone else, who told someone else, who told you and me about the good news of Jesus. And we're sitting in this room today singing songs of worship and praise and giving offerings and looking at the word because of the work of the church who stewards the gospel and takes it forth from place to place, from season to season, from epic to epic, from generation to generation. And you and I are here today because they obeyed, because they responded. They didn't just take it under consideration. They didn't form a committee. They just said, we're going to do this. And they left. Didn't say it was easy, but they, they obeyed it. I want to tell a story um, about, it's a real story, and I'm not sure if we're live streaming or on the internet. Don't tweet this part. But um, I want to tell a story about what this looks like when you obey the Great Commission. Um, I, about 20 years ago, I was, in fact, it was July of 2001, so I guess about 18 years ago, I was serving on staff at a church here in the city. And um, yeah, 20 years ago, so you know, we're kind of in a different mode. We kind of still did visitation, and we, we were kind of in a different kind of programming then and everything. But I had a lady in our church. I'm not going to say her name because there's some security reasons and things. Uh, she deals with people who are, have been born all over the world and sometimes in Muslim countries and places where it's not a good thing uh, societal-wise for you to become a Christian, and you can actually be persecuted or your family be persecuted. But she comes to me. And she says, Rick, I believe the Lord is calling me to reach Muslim, people of Muslim faith in our city and to do it by teaching them English, language ministry. And cut me some slack because it was a long time ago, but I, I didn't quite honestly know how exactly to help her. Uh, you know, we tried to find her some resources and things, but I was also kind of like, hey, yeah, but you're still going to be at Tuesday night visitation, right? You know what I mean? Um, I was still kind of in that church programming modality, and nothing wrong with that, but, but God was just doing something very kind of one-off with her, and um, very special. And, and so, fortunately, she didn't wait for me to figure it out, and others, she kind of just, kinda, and by the way, she's not an educator by background and training, she's a nurse. And so, you know, it's not like this is kind of what was leading, it was kind of a, a turn for her to do this, vocationally. And so she actually kind of shifted over a few years out of her vocation and just did this ministry full time. And actually in our city now, there is a location, I can tell you about afterwards, where you can go to and actually over hundreds of people go to this place on a weekly basis to learn English, but they learn English with this as their curriculum. And men go on certain days and women go on certain days because you know people from different cultures you know, have different styles and customs and traditions. And I, I've walked in there many times, and I've kind of tracked with this. And by the way, don't, don't lose sight of the fact this was July 2001. What happened September the 11th, 2001? Do you think that the God of the universe kind of knew, knows what's happening 
across the boundaries and the nations of, of the world, and he plants his mission in the hearts of his people so that when things happen, we're ready. We're ready to reach out and build bridges, not, not, not attack people. So he had done this in her life, and, and um, she's cultivated this ministry for years and years and years. It's, it's all volunteer-led. Uh, they have a few grants and things, but it's mainly churches and just church people, Jesus people, who, who come alongside and help to lead it. And I can walk in there, and I've done this many times, um, and, I'll say, and I'll say her name. I'll say, show me the book. Show me the book. And she'll go back, and she'll get this little moleskin, this little journal, and she'll bring it out to me, and I'll look at it. And you can look at it, and if you go there, it has a name of a person, and another name, and another name. And the next page, there's just all full of names. And, like the, and next to the name, there's the country of origin of where this person moved to Jacksonville from. They've moved from all over the world, many from Muslim countries, but all over the world, South America, China, India, everywhere. And then there's a date over here on the right-hand column, and that date is the date that that person from that country with that story prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. We can clap for that. Now, not preacher talk, not, you know, some just throwing a number at you. Kind of, the last time I checked, no kidding, you can go count, there's over 1,000 names in that book. Praise, praise God. Praise God. Now, because a lady sitting in a church received a call that Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you, fill in the blank of her name, to do this. Now, that's, that's her story. Rebecca's serving in the Spanish service. Um, the question is, what's my story? What's your story? What, what does the sentness look like? Because we live sent when we actually obey the Great Commission. I want to show a picture of a construction project that took place back in the 1100s. And way back in the 1100s, it took a long time to, to build things. And um, this particular project uh, was in a little town in Italy. And as they got up to the second floor, they just had to build things. They took a long time. And as they were up to the second floor, they realized they had a foundation problem and that this thing was beginning to lean. And now we all know this as the leaning tower of Pisa, Pisa, Italy. It's an interesting story about this. Has anybody been there and seen it? Yeah, hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not, but I've, I've researched it. And that's just, by the way, you physics or uh, engineering people, that's only a 5% lean. It's only off by 5%, but 183 feet tall, that's what 5% off looks like. It's not pretty, okay? So even just leaning a little bit can lead to a pretty ugly situation. Now, here's some other things you may or may not know. Does anybody know what the intended purpose, the original purpose of the tower was? It's a bell tower to ring the bell because there's a cathedral next door, and the purpose of the tower was to ring the bell to let people know it's time to come to worship. They didn't have iPhones or iWatches, I mean Apple Watches. So they didn't know, that's the way they told time was the bell would ring. But I don't know if you know this, but when a tower leans, the bells don't work very well. <laughs> Just the way it works, kind of a gravity thing. So it's never been able to quite fulfill its intended purpose of the creator and the designer. Here's, as Paul Harvey, some of you may remember Paul Harvey, here's what Paul Har Harvey would say is the rest of the story. In the 1960s, the Italian government went to the citizens of 
piece of Italy, and they said, hey, this is kind of dangerous. It could fall and hurt some people. Like thing, Things like this fall, and, and people get hurt. So we now have the technology. We can dig underneath this thing, jack it up, pour the concrete, do everything we need to do to engineer this thing, to correct it, and make it stand straight up and down. And the, the citizens of Pisa, Italy, must be Baptist because they put it to a vote. <laughs> and what do you guess that the good citizens of Pisa, Italy, did in the 1960s when they voted on whether or not to correct their leaning tower? They didn't, right? Because nobody flies across the world to come see a straight tower. It's kind of a novelty. I get that. But isn't that a kind of a powerful picture sometimes of what might be leaning in our lives? Things that may just be off a little bit, but over time and distance, they mean a lot. And we're never able, get this, we're never able to fulfill our intended purpose by our creator and our designer because we're allowing some things, because we get a vote, and we're allowing some things to lean in our lives sometimes. Maybe it's a relationship that's not where it ought to be. Maybe it's a habitual sin that I've harbored in my heart and in my life way too long. Maybe there's just some other things that the Lord needs to come in. Maybe there's some forgiveness and some things that need to happen in my life to, to correct my heart, to, to take that which is broken or leaning or, 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 or off balance and put it back where God intended it for it be so that, not just for my, my own benefit, yes, amen, but so that I can be used by the master for his intended purpose. And hopefully as a result, more people will worship. Friend, you may have some things leaning in your life. I may have some things leaning in my life today. And all the while, the Lord is saying, let me in. Let me, let me deal with that. Let me touch that. Let me fix that. Let me help you with that. And, and as I said, we get a vote. We get a chance to, to decide, am I going to allow the Lord to fix this or, or not? Let me tell you one more story, and I'll, I'll be finished. Because the last point is this. Living sent means saying yes to God right where you are. Not, well, you know, Rick, when I get married and have kids, or I just got to get my education, or this is thing in my life I've got to get fixed first. You know, these people in the upper room, man, they, they were just were, they were scared, they were frightened. They were, the, by the way, the laws were working against them. The culture was against them. They, they didn't know what to do. But yet Jesus was, was stepping right into the middle of that fear and was saying, peace, and here's the empowerment, and here's the calling, and here's the example, and here's everything that I'm asking of you. And it required them to say yes right where they were. By the way, let's, let me camp on this just for a second. I said that they were... The laws were against them. Have you noticed in North America, like we don't have persecution of the church. There's, that's real around the world. That's not, I mean, nobody's going to bust in here uh, and shut us down on behalf of the government today. I, that's probably not going to happen anywhere in a church or any other kind of religious organization anywhere in America because of our laws. But, but have you noticed that the laws seem to be moving against us as believers of Jesus? Have you noticed that, let me say it this way, have you noticed that in North America we tend to be less guided by this book than ever before? Have you noticed that, that um, the worldview seems to be growing further and further away from God's design? And can I say to you, to stand in the middle of the public square and say, Jesus is Lord, is going to require more courage. There's going to be more fear 
Because it's not going to be a popular thing in our world to say that. In fact, it's not right now. I could show you the research, but it's true. You know, you live, we're living this. And yet it's right in the middle of that kind of circumstance that the disciples were in where the culture wasn't on their side. The legal authorities were not for them. They were, those doors were locked for a reason. And I wonder if maybe God's calling somebody in here today to take a stand or take a step or start a ministry or serve here or be a part of something. And maybe there's something that's guarded or something that's in your heart that you're just like not quite ready to, to say yes. And can I just say, when you say yes, it just kind of unlocks a whole new gear. I'm not talking about whether or not you're saved. I'm just talking about obedience to the Great Commission and the experience of God's peace and is found right in the middle of his calling to do what he's called you to do to fulfill the purpose he has for you so that his redemptive plan, his global missional redemptive plan advances through the work of his people, the church. And you and I get cut in on the deal. We get to be a part of it. And by the way, if you haven't got in on this deal yet, today's a really good day to do that. Because that peace that Jesus showed them has been purchased for all of us who would bow the knee and pray to receive him as our Lord and our Savior and follow in his footsteps as being one of the, the greatest missionary of all times. About um, 15 years ago, it's a long, the story's a long, kind of old, but it's kind of one of these moments. Um, there are many times in my life where I spiritually get it wrong, okay? This is one of the times. I don't like to be that preacher who stands up and says, well, just be like me. I get it all right. I get it right all the time. No, I've, I flub it three times every day before lunch, okay? But this is one of those times where, where we got it right. And it was um, about 2005 or four. And, and my wife and I were at a weekend, Experiencing God weekend for couples down in Daytona Beach. And that was being led by a couple named Henry and Marilyn Blackaby. And if you remember Henry Blackaby, some of you would, he wrote the Experiencing God materials, uh, kind of came out in the 1990s, that, um, that really just changed a lot of people's lives. So anyhow, we were having this wonderful spiritual weekend. We're just renewing our passion for the Lord and um, my wife and I, it was the last morning, it was like an early Sunday morning, and we're walking on the beach in Daytona, and um, we just kind of held hands, right, right kind of right about uh, daybreak, and we were just praying, and we just said, Lord, we don't even know exactly what you're saying to us, but we want you to know our answer is yes. Now, lest you think I'm really spiritual, there's probably in the back of my mind a, a short list of things I was hoping it was not. <laughs> All right? But as much as I could mean it, as much as I could sincerely discern the truth, I was, I was being just truthful to the Lord and saying, our answer is yes. Can I just tell you, God always honors a humble yes. He, always, he never will ignore a humble yes. If you just come to him, and don't come to him and say, well, Lord, you surely you want me on your team. I've got a lot to offer. You know, that's not what the Lord, you know, that's, that you, watch out, you're going to go before the fall. But, uh, but uh, the one who pounds his chest and says, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That one. By the way, the only time in the New Testament when Jesus said somebody was justified, used that term, was talking about that person who, was, who humbled his heart. You come to the Lord with a humble heart and just say, Lord, my answer is yes. He will always honor that. And in our lives, we could go back to that being a spiritual marker where things just went right into gear. 
And not that everything's been fine and dandy. No, you know, we have a real life um, like everybody else. But I can tell you this. We're experiencing more of God's peace. We're experiencing more of God's presence. That comes after the yes. It comes after the yes. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, pray that today, even in this room, um, there are a lot of us who just need to maybe reaffirm our yes. Um, or just in terms of next steps, maybe today's the day we need to say yes for the first time. Um, you've been wooing, you've been calling, you've been, as the scripture says, knocking on the door of our hearts. And uh, we need to open that door and we need to invite you in. And we need to respond, not only in terms of receiving you as Lord and Savior, Lord, but also engaging and, and being obedient to this call to live the commission of, of the gospel in our families, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. And Lord, as we, um, we kind of leave here this morning, I just pray that um, nobody would leave this room without doing whatever they need to do with you. If it's just a, a prayer to, to affirm um, what you're already doing and uh, recommit ourselves, or if it's to, to maybe correct something that's leaning, I pray that we would uh, do that business with you today. The Holy Spirit, uh, convict our hearts, shine the light of the truth of the gospel into every dark corner so that nothing would be hidden from you and that you may have your way in our lives today and every day. And Lord, I pray that, um, that, the, that the nations would be glad that people in this room said yes to you today. In your name we pray. Amen.